You're listening to Musings with Mark So. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're doing this. It's a wonderful day here in San Francisco. My name is Mark. Welcome back to my podcast, Musings with Mark So, episode three. So glad that you carved some time out of your busy or maybe not so busy lives to tune in and listen. I really, really appreciate it. It was a weird week. I could feel my body and specifically my legs wasting away. Yesterday, I went to pick up some food and I walked up two flights of stairs to come back and my calves were screaming and it didn't feel good. And so I'm in a weird place physically, but spirits are high. My brain is still somewhat sharp and I'm excited to continue recording episodes. So we're going to start off again with Alexa. Alexa, what is the definition of Korean American? about 0.6% of the United States population, or about 1.8 million people, and is the fifth largest Asian American subgroup, after the Chinese American, Filipino American, Indian American, and Vietnamese American communities. Awesome. Wow. I actually did not know that. She gets better every single week. Thank you, Alexa. Yes. So the first thing that we're going to talk about today, I don't know why I said first, the thing that we're going to talk about today is my Korean American life, which is a huge topic. It is expansive and it encompasses all that I am as a person. And so I'm going to talk about my Korean American identity, different aspects of it over, I'm sure, many different episodes. But for today, I thought a fun way to approach it would be to share some all-time hits, my favorite memories, my best moments as a Korean American so that you, the listener, can hopefully get an idea of what it's like to be Korean-American, and then if you are Korean or you're Korean-American, you can relate to some of these things. Musical transition. So love where you're at, yeah, love where you're at, and keep your dirt on the surface and just love where you're at all right so the all-time hits of my korean american life obviously this list is not going to include all the best moments of my korean american life but i've chosen some that i thought would provide insight into different aspects of korean american life that i can hopefully expand on and that you can learn something and hopefully be a little bit entertained along the way. So number one, friends, parents, loving me for my manners. In Korean American culture, or Korean culture that is, if you are welcomed into a home as a guest, it is a sacred relationship for the duration of your stay. You must be on exquisite, exquisite behavior so as not to offend the homeowner, but also to make them so happy that they want to invite you back. That is paramount to the exchange. And so growing up, whenever I'd go to play dates or if I'd go to like a birthday party, my mom, on the way over, she'd have a stern talking with me where she'd say, 
넌 잘할 수 있지? Which effectively translates to you can do well, right? And she would say this in this very mild but very perceptible threatening tone of you can do well, right? In the context of you can have good manners and you can uh, be respectful and you can act in a way where their parents are not going to say anything bad about you to me, in which case there will be severe punishment and retribution. And so this was grilled into me every single time I went to someone else's house. And so when I'd go to my friend's houses, immediately I would take off my shoes. I would go find the heads of the household. So if the dad was there or the mom was there, I'd go find them and say, Hi, Mrs. Blank. My name is Mark. If it was my first time, I'd be like, thank you for welcoming me into your home. I'm very much looking forward to hanging out with your child. And my mom will be here at blank, blank, blank to come pick me up. And uh, obviously, I didn't do that every single time. But there were certain standards that I would maintain. I would never be as lax as I was at school with my friends in their homes. I would try to use fuller sentences and bigger, not bigger words, but words that were more formal. I would take off my shoes immediately, obviously. Um, if they offered me to stay for dinner, I would refuse. But then if they were persistent, then I would eat everything that they had. I would leave no leftovers. If they asked if I wanted more, I would always eat more. And I've realized now that that's not as valued in other in other cultures. Maybe they just wanted leftovers and now this fat Korean kid is just eating all their leftovers. But for me, uh, it translated to parents and my friend's parents specifically always welcoming me back and led to some tension, honestly, because some moms would be like, hey, why can't you be more like Mark in his manners, not realizing that that's not really me all the time. That's just the mark that has been threatened by his mom to be on his best manners or there's going to be retribution. So just a small aspect of Korean American life that I would say is universally felt by everyone. Number two, being good at spelling in Korean, if not reading and speaking, and jumping two grades to join my brother's class in Korean school. So most Korean Americans, and I want to say most Korean Americans, I think everyone at some point has done this, they go through a Korean school curriculum when they're kids. And so it's an after-school extracurricular activity put on by like the Korean American parents in a community. And so for where I lived, on Friday nights after, you know, a week of public school, we would meet up at this high school. They would rent out the entire um, all these classes in one area and you would do Korean school with basically all the other Korean American students in the area and the parents were usually the teachers so they didn't really have a teaching background and so it was hard to wrangle all of us and I didn't learn a whole lot of Korean there but something that I was good at for whatever reason was spelling I had a bad accent and I couldn't really comprehend very well but the placement test for this Korean school the year that I took this test was a spelling test, and I was weirdly good at spelling. And so that year, even though my brother is three years older than me, I tested into his class, which for the previous two years or so, I hadn't been. I had been in the appropriate class, but we'd taken that spelling test. I had done very, very well, 
remember walking in to that class. It was called the Sonamu Ban. Sonamu is a type of tree. I don't remember which one. But I walked in, tried not to make eye contact with him because I know that he was going to be feeling embarrassed. And I sat down and it, I felt so smug. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment where the younger child who always feels intellectually inferior to the older child was able to sit in the same room with them in a learning environment. So just something that stuck in my brain. But another aspect of Korean American culture was definitely going to Korean school. Number three, having a strong immune system. This is somewhat of a hot take, but when I was younger, my parents and in Korean American culture in general, they just don't like using medicine. Um, they believe that if you use medicine too much, then your body will just build up like a tolerance and then it won't be as effective later on when you really, really need it. And so growing up, if I had like a casual cold or like um, a fever or something, what I would do is just go to bed with like three jackets on and two pairs of sweatpants. I would wake up at like 3 or 4 a.m., head to toe drenched in sweat, and my temperature would be through the roof. I would like shed off two layers and then go back to bed, wake up in the morning, be just absolutely <laughs> drenched, but my fever would be gone. And I did this without fail for like every single type of sickness that I got. So I don't know what I had when I was younger. I could have had the flu. I could have just had the common cold. It could have been anything, but I would have sweated it out. And what happened and developed out of that is that I just don't really get sick anymore. And I don't know if I directly attribute it to the fact that my parents and most Korean, par Korean parents don't believe in using medicine that often. But it's a hot take, and uh, it's something that I think has made me a stronger individual in general, if not just my immune system. Number four, definitely not an all-time hit, more like an embarrassing B-track that you wish would go away, but when you think back on it and you're like, ah, whatever, that was a nice little funny moment. So when Gangnam Style by Sai came out, Suddenly, everyone expected me at school, at the school dances specifically, to know and do the dance. And the first time it happened, I was caught wildly off guard. I had heard the song on YouTube or whatever, but I, I could not have foreseen what was about to come. And so we get to the school dance, and the song comes on, and all of a sudden, everyone's heads just snapped to me. It was like when you're in a group of friends and there are two people that like each other and that someone mentions to one of them who do you like or something and everyone's heads just naturally snap towards that other person that they're into. It was that same feeling of you can't control with how those people were looking at me. And so quickly, quickly a circle formed around me. I'm looking around for help. There is no help. It's a sea of Caucasian people now and all the Asians have just blended into the walls. And I am left alone. And so I try to pull out what I can remember from my memory. So I do the little horse thing. I do a little arm uh, waving action, but it's just not good. And so what I realized was I could take this two ways. One, I could be like, wow, this is horrible. How dare you equate me to sigh? This is not okay. But then there was the other side where I could just embrace it 
knowing that it was inevitably going to come back again. And I can't just avoid school dances because you can't avoid school dances. And so I went home after that first time and I watched the video a couple times. And I'm not going to lie, I practiced it in my room a little bit, just enough to have the chorus down to the level where if I pulled it out, the sentiment would shift from, oh, we're going to make this Korean kid do the side dance because it's funny to, oh, dang, Mark actually kind of knows the side dance and he's owning it and I respect that and now I think better of Koreans. Obviously, that translation probably didn't happen for everyone, but that's what I like to think happened in their brains for myself. And so the next time that it came around, I destroyed the dance. I think I did it for like two or three more school dances and at that point, wanting to own it and really just own the dance in general faded, that that feeling dissipated and quickly turned into, okay, I'm no longer going to be the show monkey. So whatever the song would turn on, I would strategically always be in the bathroom. Number five, this is definitely an all-time hit. I was in Seoul, South Korea after I graduated from college last summer as sort of a trip for myself. I was there for five weeks. And so for four of those weeks, I was there on my own. And then for my last week, my friends from the States were coming. And I'll talk about that in a later all-time hit. But for this one, I was traveling from my relative's house to the airport to come pick up one of my friends. And as I was traveling on train there, this Korean man next to me turns to me, must have been in his 50s. And he said, in Korean, can you help me find a way to whatever province he was going to? And I said, I like froze for a second. So I was like, well, one, it can be, <clears throat> sorry, I get emotional when I talk about this apparently. Well, number one, it registered that he had looked at me and thought that I was just a Korean Korean, which beautiful moment. And the second thing was that just pure panic that this man was asking me for directions. I There's an app that you use to like sort of get around Seoul and Korea for all of the public transportation, and I'd mastered it for Seoul, but we were out of Seoul. And so I really, this was a true test of my Koreanness. This guy could have been a sleeper agent to get the Korean Americans that don't know what they're talking about out of the country. I don't know. Hot take, but it could have been because what... 50-year-old Korean man has never been on the train before, but alas, I was there, and I was this, this Bellevue, Washington native who'd been to Korea twice was the person that he had to rely on in that situation to go visit his family for heavens knows why, but it must have been urgent if it was his only time on the train ever, and he was braving it to go see his family. And so I pulled together all of the basic Korean that I have down. I have, I can understand Korean very, very well. And I would say at like a 85 to 90% proficiency in understanding. My mom doesn't speak English very well. And so I grew up speaking English to her and she would speak Korean to me. And so we're both very good at understanding respective languages, but speaking um, is just something that we never fully, fully got to. And so in preparation for this trip, though, I watched a lot of Korean shows. I would try to text my mom only in Korean and try to talk to her more in Korean because I wanted to be more proficient to speak with my grandma and my relatives. And so it all culminated in this moment with this stranger, this 50-year-old Korean man. And 
Tender knob. Tender knob. Tender knob. Yeah, so it all culminated in this moment with this man. He asked me, I pulled out my basic Korean that I'd mastered for this trip. And I'm sure at some point he got suspicious of what I was saying, especially when he looked at the English on my phone. But there's a lot of Koreans in Korea that want to be better at English, that want to practice. And so they change the settings on their phone to be English. So you could have seen it as I was just an astute student who was committed to learning English. But long story short, I helped this man get to where he had to go. I, I am not 100% sure. I am about 90% sure, but not 100% sure that I directed him to the right place. But you know what? He was satisfied. He said, thank you. And then we continued in silence for the rest of the trip. A small moment, but internally, I was absolutely joyful. And it was a beautiful cap to a long, long journey to learning Korean at a proficient, at a proficient level. Number six, eating seokgalbi in Cheongju. What are those words you say? Seokgalbi is literally translated to like stone short ribs. Karbi is marinated short ribs in Korea and seok is stone, I believe. And Cheongju is the province where one of my mom's uh, brothers lives. So my uncle lives there with his three kids. And so Cheongju is this province and it's sort of south of Seoul. And so we would go there and visit this family. And there's this place that sells this seokgarbi, which is essentially just marinated short ribs, like I said, cooked on top of a hot stone is how it was described to me. And I don't know what that does to the flavor, but it was it was life-affirming. And I, I don't use that lightly. I use a lot of hyperboles in this show and in life, and that is something that I've quickly realized about myself in podcasting. But in this one, if nothing else sticks, just re- remember that Seokgarbi in Cheongju was life-affirming for Mark Zhou. They bring it out. It just looks like a plate of carby. I've had this before, right? And I've, I know, I know how this works. I put it in my mouth, and just something in my brain, something in my brain turned on. There was an area of my brain that had not been stimulated yet that Seokgarbi and Cheongju awakened, and it was so sweet. It was so flavorful. It was so tender. It worked. So well with all the side dishes and the like the onion that was prepared along the side. And so I remember that meal so much for my first time in Korea after my freshman year of college that for this last trip that I was just telling you about, I went back to Cheongju and I asked, and they asked me if I wanted to eat anything. And I said, I've been waiting to eat that seokgarbi for three years and I want to go back. And so this time, the second time, I had the same seokgarbi, the same level of life affirm, life affirmment, life affirming, life affirmment. That's not the right word. Of life affirming, but this time they also added nengmyeon, and nengmyeon is hard to describe. But think of it like it's um, they're they're like glass noodles. Mm, mm, mm. I'm going to do a quick live search on what the noodles are because I do not want to get this wrong. 
Naengmyeon is a Korean noodle dish of long and thin handmade noodles made from the flour and starch of various ingredients, including buckwheat, potatoes, sweet potatoes, arrowroot starch, and kudzu. Yes, that is that is accurate. It's served cold. It's slightly tangy, and it's just it's something that Koreans live on during the summer. And it was it. Oh my gosh! So when I got there in Korea, all the rage was mixing karbi, this marinated short rib, with naengmyeon for the summer. And so you take the naengmyeon, you take the cold noodles, the tangy cold noodles, and you'd wrap it around. The meat, which is just sweet and so tender and just beautiful, and you would put it in your mouth together. And I kid you not, the best bite of food I've ever had was that first bite of naengmyeon wrapped around the karbi, and then the best meal I've ever had. My cousin, Chanmi, she is one of my dear, dear friends. She's my same age. She's She's the only person in Korea out of all of our cousins that's the same age as me. She gathered money that she had gotten so um, by working so hard, and she paid for the entire meal. And it was that meal, that Sukkarbi meal, stands in my mind for being the best that I've had in terms of food, but also just being so touched by her using that money to buy this food for me. And that's a big part of Korean culture as well. It's just showing your love for people and your relatives and your friends by buying a meal for them knowing that someday it's going to be paid back in full. Number seven, lucky number seven. I put this one on number seven because it is an all-time banger. This would be for me, Don't Stop Me Now, for Queen. All their songs are great, but this one has a special place in my heart. Number seven was a special Cousins Day only hangout in Korea. So I live in the states obviously and my brother and i were born in bellevue washington but all of my mom's brothers she has three of them they live in korea and so my 10 cousins in korea they um are all around our age you know it goes down a couple years and above a couple years but all around the same age now where we can have coherent conversations and relate to each other and so this time the second time that i went i planned this soul cousin day where I made the cousins from down south in Chungju come up and then all the cousins in Seoul gathered together and we had just we had a day for ourselves we did all the things in Seoul that I'd been wanting to do so the first place we went to was this Running Man Museum Running Man is a very very popular show in Korea probably the most popular show in Korea consistently and at one point, it was in top, the top 10 viewership in the entire world for a TV show because it's beloved all over Asia and it's translated into like 40 different languages and watched all around the world. But the concept of the show is... Um, the, con- the, the concept of the show is built around these races. And so every episode will be... Um, tied to a concept that's relevant or hot in Korean culture. They'll bring in guests and they'll play these games and they'll be like a race and they break into teams and it's like a competition and that's sort of the main structure for the show. So for this experience museum, they built out this like awesome place where you can go and play all these games that they had come up with on the show. They're very creative and it was a lot of fun. And so everyone enjoyed that. It was a great way to start the day. And then we went to the Han River and we had a classic, classic social 
Korean experience, a fundamental Korean social activity in the modern era, which is to go to the Han River with your friends, rent some bikes, uh, bike along the riverside, and then just like check out little shops and just like look across the water at the city. And then when you work up an appetite, go back, return the bikes, rent a little blanket, and you put it on the ground in this park. And the place is just littered with couples and with like friend, friend groups. And there's a food delivery area. And so you walk to the food delivery area. You can get whatever you want. And so we got tteokbokki and fried chicken. Tteokbokki uh, is like rice cakes. And like you can get like ramen in there. And you can get like little fish cakes as well. And it's in this spicy sauce. It's amazing. And it's like a great picnic food. And so we picked those two up. We sat down on this blanket. Um, I walked to like a convenience store nearby, got some Korean soda for everyone. We sat down and we just like had a wonderful time. Great conversation, ate all the food on this picnic next to the Han River. It is like a staple of Korean dramas and shows, this activity, and it did not disappoint. And then because it was approximately 100 degrees in the summer in Korea, we went to a cafe, which you know, in America just seems like a very casual thing. But in Korea, cafes are the lifeblood and the meeting area for all social activities. You go to a cafe like once a day in Korea and they have cafes for everything. They have cafes for, you can have a meerkat cafe where you just go and there's meerkats everywhere. You can go to a cafe and they just have board games strewn everywhere. You can go to a cafe and the cafe has like a built-in archery area it's it's crazy and it's amazing and it should be more prominent in american culture as well but then we went to a cafe we ordered some drinks we had some shaved ice which is korean shaved ice is just different it's like powder i don't know how to explain it you just got to go and try it but korean shaved ice is another staple it's called papingsu so we had that and then of course to cap off the perfect day we were having we went to you know it a karaoke room we rented it out for ourselves we got an hour and a half and they gave us another 15 minutes because that's the korean way to give you service you can continue to sing and the beautiful thing about karaoke in korea is that even if someone is shy because karaoke is such an ingrained part of the culture and people love to go to karaoke uh, rooms by themselves they're called coin karaoke rooms where like you pay a dollar and you sing four songs and people do this just to relieve stress or to practice singing and so because it's so ingrained even if someone's shy they will step up to the plate to sing when it's their time and so all of my cousins who were surprisingly good at singing they all stepped up had their moment in the spotlight belted out their favorite song which I think is essential to a successful karaoke outing is that everyone participates. And so it was just the best cap to a perfect day. And so a long description of that day in Korea, mostly just to relive it for myself, but also hopefully give you some ideas on what you can do when you go to Seoul. Number eight, continuing in that spirit of things to do around in Seoul, as I briefly mentioned before, some of my friends from college visited that last week that I was in Seoul and they toured around the city with me. And so for the four weeks prior, I had to master certain things. I mastered public transportation, as I mentioned before, clearly. Um, and I got down an itinerary of things that I hadn't yet done for myself and I'd saved to do with my friends. 
And so for that week, I really was a tour guide, but that's why this is an all-time hit because much like when you are trying to learn something and then you can teach it to someone else, that is the moment when it crystallizes and you can fully claim to know that subject or topic. In a similar fashion, me being a tour guide for my friends in Korea really felt like the culmination of all the bits and pieces that I learned about Korean culture over the years to be able to share at once with my friends, who for most of them, if not all of them, this was their first time in Asia in general. And so I told them and educated them about the Korean language over like our first meal together, which was a buffet in Korea, so they could try a bunch of different foods and I could explain what they were. And then if they liked something, we could plan accordingly. I took them on a hike of the biggest mountain in Seoul called Pukansan, and then we like looked over the city and it was beautiful. We went to a Jimjirbang, which is like a hot spa sauna place where you can go and pay a very small fee and you actually sleep there overnight, but you go into these hot rooms and there's like different scents in them. So there's like a salt room and a jade room and a clay room. And then, so you go in there and they're like 120 degrees, 130 degrees. You sweat out like a ton. Then you run to the ice room and you cool off again and you repeat the process and you sweat out all those toxins. And then afterwards you like strip naked and go into these hot pools where like you wash yourself off and it's supposed to be like a complete like sanitation activity and a lot of koreans do it if not once a week like two times a month just to stay clean and it's really important to them so i was able to take them there we had every kind of meat you can imagine and every kind of korean um food that you can imagine. I had gotten really good at using Naver, which is like the Korean Google. And so you can find these, they're called matjips, which are just like really uh, delicious restaurants in Korea. And so I'd gotten good at like pinpointing where we were at, finding the matjips around us, and then depending on what they wanted to eat, tailoring it to what they wanted to do. And so over the course of that week, we did all of this and it culminated in objectively the most beautiful moment of that five-week trip. The four of us, the day before we were going to be leaving Korea, we were invited by my grandma to her house, and she lovingly prepared this incredible spread of just Korean classic foods. And in Korean culture for um, traditional meals, you have like one or two heavy hitters, so like the entrees that everyone draws upon and brings to their plate. And then littered around those heavy hitters are just tons of side dishes. They're called panchan. And so my grandma had prepared like every panchan she could think of in the book. There's like no space on the table. And we had two tables next to each other to even like have your own plate of food because it was just that covered. So like people are like squeezing dishes on top of each other, trying to clear out dishes so that they can stack plates. That's how much she had prepared for us. And all of us unanimously agreed that it was the best meal in terms of taste and just enjoyment that we'd had in the entire trip that we were in Korea for that week, which is saying a lot because we had gone through an exhaustive list of neighbor matjips. And I couldn't have asked for a better ending to the week of sharing my culture with my friends. My grandma in preparing that meal had shared something that I couldn't teach them, which is that in Korean culture, food 
and preparing food is intimately tied to family and love. And those values are all foundational to Korean culture. And this meal, while she prepared it over the course of that day, she'd been toiling and thinking about it for three weeks at least. Because she'd been worried about, you know, matching the food to their preferences, worried that like if she prepared something that they never had before, that they wouldn't enjoy it. But all of that effort and thought and care that went into that meal capped an amazing week of sharing Korea with my friends. And I have an image, a picture that we took with all my friends and myself and then my grandma and my uncle and my Korean cousins that lived in that same household. And it's the most bizarre photo that I own, but it is also easily one of my most precious memories. Number nine, watching the show Reply 1988 on Netflix and learning everything about my parents pre-coming to the States through the show. A common experience for Korean American kids is that a lot of us growing up only understand and grasp our parents as individuals post-immigration. We don't know anything about their lives when they lived in Korea. Part of it's just because in Korean culture, people don't like talking about themselves very much, but also just because that process of trying to share about their past, where you have to go back in time, but then also transmute across a continent and across two completely distinct cultures must have been very, very hard. Because there's no basis for me to understand um, their experiences. There's no comparable experiences in the States for certain things that they experienced. And so that show set in the 1980s when my parents were growing up in Korea did a fantastic job of just throwing me into their reality and their world. It's a slow show. It's about a group of friends who grew up in this sleepy neighborhood in Seoul on this street and all their parents are friends. And it's a slow show where it just examines how these families rely on each other in just the ebb and flow of Korean society and culture as they're growing up. And it examines major events that happen at the time. So in 1988 is when Seoul hosted the Summer Olympics for the first time. And for most of the country, it felt like a declaration coming out onto the world stage moment for them. And so the show starts with that moment. And so as I saw these different milestones in Korean culture and in Korean history in a time where my parents had lived there and just examined the relationships between parents and kids and friends and how they went to school with uniforms and it was formal, what they ate, what they liked to do for fun, how they spent their time with their family and their friends and how they developed relationships, all of these things just clicked into place and all of a sudden I understood my parents and all the aspects of their lives and their identities that I felt I had no way to access and no way to fully understand. The show at the end absolutely wrecked me. I was in a hotel room because I was on a for my job and for the course of watching that show I was just in this hotel room for work so every night I'd come back and watch the show and so Um, The last couple episodes, I wept. I wept. That word is used too lightly because it does not, it should not be used unless you are actually unable to stop crying. I wept on that Marriott bed 
and I think it was partly being emotional for what was going on in the show and the show ending, but a big part of it was feeling that relief of that wall coming down and me gaining access to my parents' lives as individuals and as humans instead of just as my parents. It made me appreciate that much more that they had left that rich culture that I just learned about through the show to come to America to give me more opportunities. And that's why that show, Reply 1988, now in the top three of my favorite shows of all time, will always have a very special place in my Korean-American heart. Number 10. This one isn't tied to a specific moment or memory, but it is an all-time hit in every sense of that word, in that it is central to my Korean-American identity and will always be a part of who I am. And it's very basic and it seems obvious, but I'll explain a little more about what it means to me. And that is having two cultures wildly different that I am incredibly proud of and that I can claim for my own, and that continue to enrich my daily life. When Parasite won the Best Picture Oscar in February, I cannot explain how big my heart swelled. I have never felt more proud and more grateful to be Korean. And I think that in a small way demonstrates what I'm talking about. To be Korean-American is to have two cultures that you can root for. Two intensely successful entertainment industries that I can enjoy. Um, on the Korean side, family-based emotional stories that I wouldn't find in the States. And then the States, just amazing production value and unique stories that come out of Hollywood and out of the TV shows that we have here with all of our resources two teams to root for in the Olympics and at the World Cup, every single gold medal for South Korea and even Korean Americans in America like Chloe Kim and snowboarding, all of those things make me so happy. And having both of those things to draw from is like having five settlements in Catan and just gaining resources on every roll. And I lost some of you there and that's okay. Settlers of Catan has been big in our house recently and has been getting us through the quarantine, so it's on the mind. But anyways, two teams to root for, two cultures to draw from. Learning how to value myself on the American side and prioritizing my future. But then on the Korean side, learning when and how to sacrifice that individualism for the collective good of my family and for the groups that I'm a part of. Learning how to respect my history and my ethnic heritage, but also being so appreciative and grateful every day of the fact that I get to experience this melting pot of cultures living in America. To be Korean American is to intuitively and throughout your life do the difficult, difficult work of marrying together two cultures that on paper are wildly different, but taken together in one package can greatly enhance who you are as a person and how you approach everything in life. 
for myself, being Korean American is all that I know and all that I ever will know. But truthfully, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, I wouldn't have it any other way. And with that, we're going to wrap up the third episode of Musings with Mark So with a Korean proverb, a sokdam, which is 고생 끝에 낙이 온다, which means at the end of hardship comes happiness. And so with those wise words, I'm going to sign off for myself and Bedroom Alexa here at the Musings with Mark So podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you stay safe and sane. And I hope you have an amazing week. Musings on Musings with Mark So. Let's go. The first thought is that I ran out of time for that middle recommendation segment because the podcast host server that I use has 200 minutes of free allotted time per month. And I have 43 minutes left and don't have enough time for that segment. But if you need a show, go watch Itaewon Class on Netflix. And let me know if you um, like the length of these episodes or if you'd like shorter ones. Always open for feedback. The second thought is just something that I'd love to share. A couple days ago, I discovered a tiny, tiny, maybe 20 foot by 10 foot Korean grocery store about two blocks from my house. And it has radically improved my comfortability with the quarantine and with living in my tender knob apartment, especially after talking about Korean food in a podcast. So if you're feeling a little down, scour Google Maps and Yelp. I didn't know for five months that it was two blocks away because you never know those hardworking entrepreneurial Koreans might have just opened up a mart near you. And so with that, that is the end of Musings on Musings with Mark So. I will catch you on the next one.